Okay, <clears throat> so uh, just a couple announcements this morning that I wanted to mention. Uh, first off, the team going to Oaxaca, they left this morning about 5 o'clock this morning from the airport. Then they're going down with the, the Hendricksmans, spend a, about a week down there with them uh, doing some work, helping them, ministering to, the, to them, encouraging them in their work, but also sharing in some of their work. So uh, they're down there. They flew out. I don't remember who all's on the team. I, I think I know. Uh, the, the, um, Mitch is leading the team. Mitch Newland is leading the team. And, Joe, and Jody and then uh, um, Luke. And I, I don't think, no, just Luke. And Mickey. And Mickey Fox. That's the team. Yeah, Small team. That's good. So keep them in mind. Keep them, you know, be praying for them for their safety as they travel through the airports and on the planes, and that they don't get the new, the new strain of the, of the virus. Mm -hmm. um, so keep those in mind. Also, um, um, we have a baptism again coming up uh, on the 12th of December. So if you know of anybody that needs to be baptized, or has been asking about it, you might want to let them know that. Uh, there's a tree, a Christmas tree. We do this every year, just as a reminder. There's a Christmas tree in the lobby this morning. It's got little tags on it, so you can collect those tags and bring in the food, and they're going to load the boxes. And I think there's quite a few boxes that we'll be loading this year. And I'm not sure which class. I don't think it's. I know it's not our class that will be distrib distributing them. Uh, so um, I don't have a date, <clears throat> but um, as soon as possible, if you guys, could, if you can. Take a tag or two, or ten, whatever you want, and bring those things back, and bring the tag back with you. Oh, they would like to have the tag back. Why? Because it keeps helps them keep track of what what has gone out and, and stuff, and what's what's being filled. Uh, we're going to have a Christmas service on the 19th of December, which is the Sunday before Christmas. Uh, Christmas is on, I believe, the 20th. Uh, keeps dropping out. I'm on cellular. I'm not on Wi-Fi. Maybe the Wi-Fi will get working one of these days if somebody knew what they were doing. Um, okay, so the Christmas boxes, Christmas service, December 19th, 1030. Um, the children's ministry will be running at that time. Uh, but it'll also, that day, that 20, the, that Sunday, they're going to have a Christmas caroling by the, um, by the, the Kingdom Seekers kids. They're going to come up they're going to sing several songs for us on that day. Christmas Eve service is on December 24th, which makes sense. That is Christmas Eve. And uh, <clears throat> they, um, there'll be a service that night at 6 o'clock. Um, actually, it doesn't say what time it is here, but I'm pretty sure it's at 6 o'clock. Um, Brian would like to encourage people to invite people back, you know, to come to that service. And then um, there's an evangelism class starting on Wednesday nights for the next several weeks. Um, and uh, Pat, Lee, and Jeremy are uh, teaching that class. I'm not sure how many weeks it is. Um, and then uh, a couple other things here. Volleyball registration is up and running. I'm not sure when the season starts, but that's coming up when we click. We clean the church again. I do want to thank the Bonisons and the the, um, uh, the Yoders, and I don't know who else was involved. But I know they were. They cleaned the whole church on Wednesday before before uh, Thanksgiving, so we didn't have to do that. But uh, we do have it scheduled again on February 25th. You can make a note of that. February 25th is our uh, next time up. And uh, I just want to mention, of course, pray for the Arnies, the Balkans. Pray for Bud, Desiree, and Bob Klein. <clears throat> My granddaughter, her husband, and most great grandkids have COVID. Mm -hmm. who, who is that again? My granddaughter, her husband, and both of my great-grandchildren have COVID. That's the Delta, right, Bob? I'm sorry? Delta, that Delta variant. That's not the new one, is it? Yeah, yeah. I specified which, yeah. which one it is. <clears throat> you know, the fact that the newborn. 
tough. So. Are they all home? Are they home? Yeah. But they, they're not in the hospital. Yeah, that was the main reason that we didn't have a you know big family Thanksgiving celebration. Can um, <clears throat> well, we'll definitely keep them in prayer. They really need it. <clears throat> can I read your? Can I have your phone for a minute, Julie? I want to read a text from Betty regarding Gwen. Uh, it's easier to do that than just try to remember everything she said. Terry's, Terry's heart. Read Terry's. Oh, okay, I got a couple, couple of messages here. So, this is from Betty to Julie last night. Hope you guys are good. Wanted to give, let to let you know that Gwen has gotten a lot of relief with the changes they made in his med his pain medications. They increased the fentanyl and added the gamma pentin, and he has almost stopped the oxycodone. He is not so foggy now and is eating and sleeping much better. We've discovered that ice really helps his back and leg, even has reduced the swelling somewhat. Uh, so they're really grateful for your prayers. And so just keep that on. Uh, that's really, that's a good report. Awesome to hear about. And then Terry Wilson, Send a message this morning. Where how far back do I go? She got hit by a dog. By her mom's dog. Oh. So her hand swelled up majorly and Okay, um, let me go back there and find that. It's just made the bomb. Thursday evening, Thanksgiving night, uh, her mom's dog went after her uh, Terry's cat. Cat bit me on the hand. Mm -hmm. oh, the by by Friday night my hand was swollen and infected, so I went to urgent care. Taking antibiotics now that it has been now that now now that that has upset I guess the medicine medicines upset her system but she's not going far from home. I had the same thing happen to me. Yes, yeah, but it goes on. My vet was giving the cat a shot and she bit me. And he said, you need to wash out with soap and water. And cat's got a mouth. You couldn't possibly get infected. And I ended up in the emergency room sick as a dog. Well, the, uh, apparently the dog, her mom's dog, she, her mom called her and the dog pulled on her as she was letting him out. And he raked her hand against the door jam. Mm -hmm. So they had, so she had to go pick her up, take her to urgent care as well. So anyway, that's that's a wreck going on there. Um, okay, so we're going to pray for Terry that she can heal and uh, pray for Wayne that he can continue to recover. Uh, we're looking over at Psalm chapter 147, verses 11 to 20 today for prayer. What is it? Psalm 147. Last week we did the first 10 verses. This week we're going to do the last 10 verses. We'll start in verse 11. We'll read down to the end. <clears throat> okay, so Psalm 147, verse 11 through 20. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him, in those that hope in his mercy. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise thy God, O Zion. For he hath, get, he hath strengthened the bars of thy gates, he hath blessed thy children within thee. He maketh peace in thy borders, and filleth thee with the finest of his wheat. He sendeth forth his commandment upon earth, his word runneth very swiftly. He giveth snow like wool, he, he scattereth the hoarfrost like ashes, he, he casteth forth his ice like morsels, who, who can stand before his cold? He sendeth out his word and melteth them. He causeth the wind to blow and the waters to flow. <clears throat> he showeth his word unto Jacob, his statutes and his judgments unto Israel. He hath not dealt so with any nation, and, and as for his judgments, they have not known them. Praise ye the Lord. All right, well, let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for this passage of Scripture, Lord. <clears throat> it just reminds us, Lord, of just how much we should care about the things that you in, in, uh, insist that we do and pay attention to your word, Lord, and pay attention to how you move, not just in our lives, but in nature as well. 
We pray, Father, that you would um, uh, help us, Lord, to, to be in your word, to study your word, to, to guide uh, our lives by your word. We want to lift up uh, Gwen Arnie, Lord, and we're thankful for the report that we've heard this morning uh, that uh, he's getting some relief. And we praise you for that, Lord. We ask that you would continue to do that. And you would um, continue to replace his pain with, with, uh, with joy from, you, from the Lord. And that, uh, Lord, that uh, you would heal him, that you would remove the cancer from his body, that you would um, take care of all of the needs. Lord, work through the, temp- the uh, medical staff. And Lord, it is how you work right now in, in people's medical needs as you work through the medical staff. I want to pray for Terry Wilson, Lord, that she was uh, um, bit by her cat and she's got an infection now. We pray, Father, that you would heal that, her hand. Um, she uses her hands in her job, like most people, of course. But we ask for you to heal her hand and recover her back to her normal uh, functions. And we just thank you for all that you do. We ask, Father, that you guide that you would... Speak to us as we study this passage out later on after we conclude prayer. And we just give you the honor and the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you for the reminder of uh, you are the creator of the earth. And uh, your, your might and your power uh, just be standing on. Verse 11, it says to take pleasure in them that fear you and him, Lord, and those that hope in his mercy. What a what a um, precious thing, Lord, that, that we know that we can we should fear you and nothing else in this world, Lord. COVID, man, what man could do to us anything, Lord. Just fear you because, God, you got it all under control, I know, Lord. We just thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Father, we conclude in prayer. We do also want to remember the team going to Oaxaca, Lord, as you keep them safe uh, in their flights uh, at the airports. Lord, protect their luggage uh, so that they all arrive at the same time, uh, the team and the luggage. And I pray, Father, you would protect them from any illness, protect them from um, any, any kind of evil, Lord. Give them good rest in the hotel uh, that uh, they'll be staying at. And I do pray, Father, that they would be a blessing uh, to the missionary and his wife, Lord, and keep them safe. We just ask, Father, for uh, for whatever we don't actually—I don't actually know the, the, the full extent of the, the mission trip, the plan, the, the work they'll be doing. But I know it'll be a, a blessing for the for the Hendricksmans. And so I just ask, Father, for you to take care of them, bring them home safe to their families, keep keep their families safe while they're here, Lord. I know several of them have. Uh, have children that will be staying here. So I pray, you know, Father, you take care of them as well. Thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us the gift of eternal life uh, that we may be able to serve you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. amen. Okay, so we're at, um, oh, and I didn't mention, well, I think everybody already knows, but since a couple of people come in, we, I don't know, should we sing happy birthday? Yes. Yes. Julie, you want to lead that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So we're going to sing happy birthday to Carmen. <laughs> and, uh, this is what, what year birthday is this? Oh, like wow. 29, right? Oh, no. That's right. 20, 28. 28. Uh, that look, you have to go by numbers. <laughs> two and five. 25. There's a two and a five. Uh, 25. Okay. All right. Well, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Carmen. Happy birthday to you. Well, you're lucky I didn't. I don't even know how I made that. <laughs> well, it's all God. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, happy birthday to you. Thank you. Um, okay, so Second Corinthians chapter eight is where we're at today, and we're really we started that last week. We're, we're gonna we're, we will finish chapter eight today, and then we'll 
get into chapter 9 next week. But as a reminder, just kind of reintroduce the topic, what we're looking at. Last week I began the, the, the class by asking a question. And I think everybody was, most everybody here that was here uh, that I would ask this question is what do you look forward to on Sunday mornings? You know, remember many people say, well, what music, they like the music, they like the singing, they like the fellowship, they like, um, uh, and for some, they like the preaching. You know, uh, the message is uh, powerful. I know when I first started going to church, if it wasn't for powerful teaching of the Bible and preaching from the, from the pulpit, I never would have gotten saved because I would have resisted. I didn't want to go to church when I went to church. And I was constantly... Um, in my heart, rebelling against the whole thing, and they their preaching changed that. And so, but the, but the question really was ultimately: Does anybody look forward to coming to give, coming to church to to put their offering in the plate? And I even mentioned that we don't pass plates anymore, and we should start. And I think we're going to now. I think probably not. I don't know if it'll be this Sunday. Is it this Sunday? I think Next Sunday. Well, a couple we, Sundays. We haven't talked about. We I got an email, so okay. I guess we'll talk to Brian this morning. Okay, well, that's fine. So sometime in the next, before the end of the year, by the, by the beginning of the year, we'll be passing the plate again. And uh, that doesn't mean that uh, you can't give electronically, you can't write a check and put it in an envelope and put it in the box on the side of, you know, going out the door. You can still do all those things. Uh, but you will still, will see the plate pass. And you'll, you'll, you'll think, oh, okay, I did that, I took care of that, I mailed the check last week, and and so the, the plate is a reminder of us offering part of ourselves back to God. And so, so I mentioned it at a pastor meeting after the, I brought it up last week, uh, and uh, everybody seemed to be favorable of the idea. Uh, I don't think COVID is going to keep us from passing the plate. We're passing the plate when we do the Lord's Supper now, and, uh, and nobody had any issues with that. We still do have those little disposable uh, offerings if anybody wanted to do that. I know it doesn't taste great, but it's, 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 it's not there. We're not trying to please your palate. Uh, so anyway, um, so every Christian, I think, no matter who you are, every Christian should be eager, anxious, and thrilled about the opportunity to give at the offering because of the meaning of, this, of what you see in two verses. And I think I have them in your notes, uh, in your handouts. Luke six thirty-eight: give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over... Um, Shall men give uh, give into your bosom for with the same measure that you met with all it shall be measured to you again. So there's a give and take in the giving. Uh, and in Second Corinthians, which we'll look at next week, chapter nine, verse six. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. So Paul is writing this letter, and, and we've been going through a lot of things. And uh, chapter seven, as a re- just as a reminder. Paul con- confirmed their repentance uh, from the report that Titus brought back with them, and then he basically taught, okay, this is what you did. And uh, so he talked about that in chapter 7. And um, <clears throat> so now he, he needed to address their lack of attending to a commitment that the church had made uh, a year ago to give help to the church in Jerusalem. Chapter 8 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 10 to 11, he says, Here and I give my advice, for this is expedient for you, which have begun not before, not only to do, but also be forward a year ago. Now, therefore, perform the doing of it. I like that phrase. We talked about that last week. We're going to talk more about it today. Perform the doing of it. That there was a readiness to will, so that there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. So he's not just talking about what little, he's not talking about a tithe here. In this case, and we'll talk about tithe probably next week or the week after next, we'll, we'll dive into what a tithe looks like and, and all of that and what it represents and, and such. But this is actually a, 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 there was a given, a reported need to all of the churches. Uh, Paul, as he did what Paul did, uh, he reported to the churches that there was a great need in Jerusalem, at the church in Jerusalem, and uh, he was trying to take up an offering to help that need. Uh, if you recall, and just I don't think this was directly related to the need to give, but you remember in Acts chapter six when when uh, there was a challenge um, uh, that that the church was making that there was nobody to take care of the widows in Acts chapter six. And that's where we got the deacon role to, that came up and all of that. But the fact is that there was a need that needed help, and 
you know, the, the widows, uh, the Gentile widows, sometimes the Jewish widows were being neglected. And so that's just one of those needs that, that came up that, that Paula was trying to take care of. Um, <clears throat> of course, there was also a church under persecution. And so they needed to help uh, with that as well. So, so as I said, he's not talking about a tithe. Um, he did, in fact, Paul doesn't even address, even in chapter 9, he won't address the issue of tithing. Um, what he does address is our heart towards giving it all. What is our heart? What is, what is our desire inwardly to give outwardly to help somebody? So basically, it's a heart issue. So even in these two chapters, chapter 8 and 9, Paul's going to teach us, teach the Corinthians, teach us through the Corinthians, some principles of giving. And I have an outline that I kind of wrote down um, in general where we're going. So last week we were in chapter chapter 8, verses 1 to 9, reasons and expectation to give. In, uh, verses, and this is what we're going to look at the rest of this chapter, starting in verse 10. Giving is expected by the believers. Uh, in verse 13 to 15 is explanation of why we should give. In verses 16 to 24 is an example of, of encouragement to give. And I'll pause right there, but that's kind of where we're going. So but we're going we're gonna to go back into the first nine verses because there was things that I didn't get to last week that I wanted to cover. So let me read verses 1 to 9, chapter 8, and then we'll, we'll move forward. So Paul writes, for his touching... No, that's chapter 9, sorry. Chapter 8, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministry to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us, by the will of God, insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith, in utterance, in knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, and ye through his poverty might be rich. And we'll pause right there. So I want to talk about, out of the verses 1 to 9, what I would call the look of giving. The look of giving. What does giving actually look like? So, you know, one of the things you want, like to do, when you, I do anyway, when I study the Bible, is I, I like to see how many times a word in particular is, is used in the Scripture. Well, just in the New Testament alone, the word give is used 449 times. Just in the New Testament. If you add it to the Old Testament, it, it runs up pretty close to a thousand times. So, so the, the concept, the, the intent, the, the teaching behind giving is all throughout the Old and New Testament. Uh, so that's the word give, G-I-V-E, and the word giveth, G-I-V-E-T-H. Both of those Actually, the word giveth is another 26 times. So that was 420, 475 times the word give, or, or the concept in the New, just in the New Testament alone is giving. Um, the word gave, a little bit of a difference there, is used 153 times in 142 verses. But probably, if you had to say, where, if, you, if you needed to go to a verse that had the word gave or give in it, where would you go? How about John chapter 3, verse 16? Yeah, for God so loved the world that he gave. Uh, so that would, uh, that's probably the most recognizable use of the word he gave. And so the word means, the word gave, it means to give a free and unmerited gift of one's own accord and with goodwill. So you can give and not have goodwill towards the giving and it's, it's not of your heart. There's a there's a there's a passion to keep what you're giving, you know. There's a struggle that you go through, and it's like I'll give it, but I don't want to. Well, the, the, to truly give, biblically to give, is to give uh, out of one's own accord and with goodwill. And so the intent of the word 
it actually goes beyond just transferring a gift from yourself to somebody. It actually represents, and this is a word that we don't use in the Bible. In fact, I don't think it's actually in the Bible. So the intent of giving is about generosity. It's about generosity. So I looked up generosity. I don't know if you guys ever do this, but you can go to Google and say, what's the Strong's word for this? And it'll pop up if there's a strong word for this. And it did. I looked up generosity. To turn over to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy 6. Yeah, 1 Timothy 6. So the word generosity in Greek is the Strong's number G2130. And the only place that you're going to find G2130 is in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 18. And this is what Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18. That they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. That phrase, ready to distribute, that entire phrase, ready to distribute, is the word generosity. So Paul says to Timothy... Okay, Timothy, this is what you need to do. You need to keep that which is committed to thy trust. I'm in the wrong verse. Verse 18. Do good. Uh, They that be rich in good works, be ready to distribute those works, to be generous with what you're doing, and willing to communicate. There needs to be both a desire in your heart and an intent to communicate, to give, to be generous. So the apostle of this... So the opposite of the word generosity, sometimes it's good to really understand the meaning if you look at what the opposite is. The opposite of generosity is to be stingy, to be sparing, uh, to uh, like, nah, I don't think so. I don't think I'm going to give to whatever the need might be. So let me give you a, a survey, just a few verses. I think I have them listed. We'll turn to each one of those. I think you have them in your notes. But uh, let's go to... Uh, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 26, real quick. Proverbs 11, verse 26. He that withholdeth corn... Right, please. Yeah, he that withholdeth corn... The people shall curse him, but blessing shall be upon the head of him that selleth it. <clears throat> to really, to give it out. So there's a there's an idea of giving there. Of course, in Luke chapter 6, uh, verse 38, which we've already read. That was one of our introductory verses. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 10. Deuteronomy 15, verse 10. Thou shalt surely give him, and thine heart shall not be grieved when thou givest unto him, because because that for this thing the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all thy works and in all that thou puttest thine hand unto. So even there, you can see very clearly clearly that the, the issue of giving here uh, it's a, of your own accord and a, with good will. So Paul, or um, the verse says, be, "Surely give him, and thine heart shall not be grieved." So the grieving part, not be grieved part, that's where you would feel a struggle in your own heart, and that's not true true giving. And then one more verse I just want to mention is Acts chapter twenty, verse thirty-five. Acts chapter 20 and verse 35. So this is a direct uh, statement that Paul's making in his teaching that Luke records in verse 35 of chapter 10. He says, I, sh- I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Mm-hmm. Now that phrase, blessed, more blessed to give than to receive, a lot of people like to attribute that to Benjamin um, Franklin. Franklin. And he may have said it, 
But he got it from Paul, because there's no place in the scripture where Jesus Christ actually stated it. But he said a lot of things that aren't in the aren't in the Bible. So he probably did say it. But in any case, the point is is is, is to give. It's about giving. Now, I have I tracked down, I didn't go do I didn't make this list on my own, but I found a, as I was looking for things on the internet about giving and stuff, I came across a, a paper a, a page that had um, 70 verses about giving. Wow, 70. 70 verses. Now, there's more than that, because there's, uh, what did I say, there's 449 times the word give is used in 405 verses. And not all of them are about giving to others, but but if you want that list, just send me an email and I'll send you the list. Um, I had, you know, that's where I got some of these, but it's an interesting, there's a lot of verses, that, there's a lot about giving in the Bible. Okay, so, so we're talking about the look of giving here. So a gift, and we've kind of touched on it already, you need to have a giving heart. You need to have a heart that wants to give, that desires to give. The, the actual amount of the Macedonian churches and whatever they were willing to give, whatever they had committed to give, we don't even know what the Corinthian church said that they would give. Uh, it's not mentioned. The amount is not mentioned. I mean, they may have they said, okay, I'll give $10. And that would have been from the whole church, $10. And, okay, Paul would have said, okay, thanks, praise the Lord, and moved on. They could have said $10,000. We don't know. That's not the point. The amount is not the point. The heart is the point. And so, in fact, the only time that the word, in the New Testament, where any amount is specified, anybody know where that might be? Where, the, where there is an amount specified of the giver. The what? It was, uh, was it the people that God struck down when they would no, how about the widow's mite? Luke chapter two or Luke chapter twenty one, verses one to four. And he looked up, this is Jesus speaking or about to speak, and he looked up and saw the rich men casting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow casting in thither two mites. And he said, This is what Jesus said about her giving. Of a truth I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast more than they all. They were casting in their wealth. She's casting in her, all of her possessions. Verse 4 says, For all these have of their abundance cast in unto the offerings of God, but she of her penury, penury, P-E-N-U-R-Y, uh, hath cast in all, all of the living, in all the living that she had. Basically, what pennies she had, she gave all of her pennies. So that's one of the only times where, where there's a mention. It's not a command that she give everything that she had. Because if, if Jesus would really wanted to command, give everything you have, he would have commanded the rich people, give everything you have. And let the widow keep her stuff. So the size of the Macedonian gift, the size, up or down, doesn't impress Paul. What impresses Paul is their liberality of their gift. And so Paul describes in verse 2 that the Macedonian heart was filled with liberality. Now, that's not a political word there. That is a passion to, to, to show forth care to somebody else. It means a heart filled with sincerity, faithfulness towards others. There's a, there's a passion for people. You have a liberality. You care. You care so much that it just kind of overflows and out of you and over uh, time. Uh, so it is manifest in helpfulness and giving assistance to others, and it is equivalent to being faithful and benevolent. So then another way of thinking about it would be the word benevolent. Okay, so they gave even though they had several, you know, they actually had several reasons that Paul identified in chapter 8, uh, several valid reasons to pass on participating in the collection. And they were justly... They, 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 could, they could have substantially, if they wanted to, reduce the amount that they were intending to give. They had the... Paul was okay with, if you don't give, you're in, a, you're in a bind right now. Let me give you the... Look at verse 8, chapter 8, verse 2 again. Paul says two things about them. However, they... How that in a great trial of affliction... That's the first thing. And the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty, that's the second thing, uh, abounded unto the riches of their liberality. 
So first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2, we see the Macedonians face a great trial of affliction. Now, I don't know what that was, but probably would be my guess, because um, the one of the churches is Thessalonica. Thessalonica was under under uh, persecution all the time from day one, from as soon as the church, as soon as the first person confessed Christ as Savior, that church has been under persecution. So the churches in Macedonia, just because they're churches, it's like all the churches in China, all the churches in India, all the churches in, in other countries where um, there's a deep hatred for the, for the Christian faith. Uh, those churches are under persecution all the time. But they gave anyway. They gave of themselves. They gave above and beyond. Um, they were facing a great deal of affliction. Uh, Paul writes to the Thessalonians, is actually, he says in 1 Thessalonians 1.6, You became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction. With the with joy of the Holy Ghost, so you got saved, and now you're ready to, to do what what needs to be done. And the second thing that I mentioned out of verse two was they were in deep poverty. Now, when you think about deep poverty, it means they didn't have they didn't have uh, two nickels to rub together. You've heard that expression before, maybe. Uh, they just didn't have it. They didn't have it to give, but they were going to give what they had. They were going to do the widow's mite method. Um, so between their great trial of affliction and their deep poverty, they would have had every reason to justify not giving to the collection. Yet they were still going to give because that was their heart. So I'm going to give you five characteristics of Macedonian giving. So I think maybe this is the way we should refer to, uh, maybe not, you don't want to go around touting, oh, I'm a Macedonian giver, you know, but you should in your heart think, I'm a Macedonian giver. I'm going to give you five things, uh, what, what the Macedonian giver looks like. Um, so the first thing is not number one. Let me just say this. This is, would be like what I would consider the base of the five. Their desire to give was motivated. That would be a blank in your notes. Uh, motivated by God's giving to us. They wanted to give because God had given to them. And they knew that, that, that if they gave to somebody else, then God would give them as well. God would continue to help them as much as they would help the Macedonian churches. And so they wanted to give simply because God had given to them. That's a basis for all of our giving should be because God has given to us. What's God given to us? Well, you can name quite a few of them, I think, really easy. I mean, he gave us life. He gave us his word. He gave us fellowship in the church. He gave us uh, uh, circumstances that we live with uh, and endure through. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, Paul writes to that church, now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. That's what God's doing. He's working in us exceedingly above anything that we could ask or think. And so if you turn over to Romans chapter 16 real quick, because Romans chapter 16 kind of parallels that. Romans 16 verse 25 Paul writes to the church as he's wrapping up his letter. He says, And now to them, now to him, that is a power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. So the point that I have from there in verse 25 of chapter 16 is that it speaks of the same, same thing, informing us that we have been established by the gospel, which we have been, we're saved by the gospel, and the message of Christ, and we're strengthened by the message, and we're confirmed by the message. Okay, so now let me give you the five, um, the five traits or characteristics of Macedonian giving. Number one, in verse two, what, um, let me get back to verse two again. I read that a couple times already. But how that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. So the, the, first, the first one is uh, they gave generously. We've already talked about generously already, but they gave generously. So at the time when they were poor themselves, they did not hold back anything. They gave what they said they were going to give. Now, maybe they were doing really well. And at the time they made the commitment, they thought, well, you know, we've got enough in our budget. We can give this much, whatever this much is. And something happened, and they really probably could only give this much. But you know what? They said, you know, we, we made a commitment. We're going to give this much. And that's, that's an admirable position. They were generous. Uh, second, in verse 3, 
Verse 3 says, For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves. The second characteristics of Macedonian giving is that they gave voluntarily. Voluntarily. It was by their will that they were giving. It wasn't that they were directed by Paul, but they, they felt led. The term voluntarily, not in the word, not in the Bible, but it, it really fails to adequately express the spirit of the Macedonians. Um, it's not that they just had a desire to be part of the effort. Okay, you know, some people just want to be on the list. I'm going to do something so I can be on the list, so my name can be seen. No, that's not what they were doing. It wasn't that they, they didn't have a desire to be part of it wasn't just that they had a desire to be a part of that effort. They had a they desire to give because they were compelled in their effort to give in case nobody else gave. Now think about that. Now, you know, you don't know. I mean, this is not about, well, let's just keep it on the surface of just giving to, a, to a, a collection. You don't know if anybody else in this church is going to give. So in the Macedonians' heart, they're going to voluntarily give just in case somebody else doesn't give. They're going to give as much as they can so that, so that the need is closely met as possible, even if it's just them. In Philippians, Paul writes to the church at Philippians, which was another Macedonian church. In Philippians 4.15, Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia... No church communicated with me as concerning giving or receiving, but ye only. They gave to Paul to help Paul's in his ministry because they didn't know if anybody else was going to take care of or help Paul. So, you know, we don't know who gives to our missionaries. I don't know who gives to our missionaries. I mean, I'm not talking about out of our church. I know our church gives to missionaries, our missionaries. But I don't know who else gives to our missionaries. So we're going to give, to, we're going to give as much. And we try to maximize, just so you guys know, we try to maximize our giving to missionaries. In some churches, the standard dollar amount, well, it used to be $50. And they would just, you know, they'd have 250 missionaries on their record, and they give each one of them $25 or $50. Well, what if, I mean, what if that's all they got? Okay, so we're going to ramp it up a little bit here. We're going to, I mean, we're going we're gonna to give more than the Baptist basics. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. We're going to get more than the Baptist basics. So the, the Macedonian churches, they did not desire a reward for themselves, but they did want to rejoice in what God would do with their offering. That's another aspect of it, voluntarily given. They're like, let's give this money to this missionary and see what God does with it. I mean, we think about it that way. It's not what God is working through him. It's what God is doing through us, through that. So it's like God to you, to the missionary, to the field. And so, like, I'm going to give for this need, whatever this need is. I'm going to raise. I'm going to help raise the funds for this need to meet a need. And I just want to see God work. I just want to see God work. So I'm going to give, so I can see God work. And that's a cool thing to be a voluntary giver in that sense. Um, these people, as I already told you, they were in deep poverty, yet they very much wanted to participate in the privilege of giving generously to the need. They were willing, like Paul, when he encouraged Philemon. Remember what he said to Philemon? Look over Philemon, that little book, little book in the New Testament, Philemon chapter 1 and verse 14. Philemon chapter 1 verse 14 says, But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. Now Paul is writing to Philemon uh, about Onesimus. Onesimus was Philemon's slave that ran off and he got arrested. He was in jail. He got saved because he met Paul in prison. And now Paul is writing Philemon and saying, Hey, how about you be willing uh, to receive this guy back? And so that's an attitude that we should have, a willingness, a willing attitude. Okay, so we have two, two, two bases for, uh, or two characteristics of Macedonian giving. Uh, generous, voluntary, number three, verses four and five, back in Second, Second Corinthians again, verse four and five. Praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministry to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. So number three, I would call it, they gave to advance the ministry. So when you're giving, 
you're helping to advance the ministry, wherever, whatever that looks like in the need that's there. In verse 4, they wanted to see the ministry grow. So they wanted to help the church. In verse 5, they wanted to be not, not only to give, they also wanted to participate. So everything's good about that. They wanted to give themselves, they wanted to give their finances. Number 4, they don't have necessarily a verse, it's all the whole pattern that we've seen so far. Number 4 was they gave joyfully. Paul did not have to wrestle any giving from their hands. They readily and joyfully insisted on giving. They, they took joy in giving. That's, you know, again, we, we, if we pass the plate, whether it's for Sunday morning regular offering or we're passing a plate for a need at a church, let's say like we had earthquakes or something and we need to help or a flooding uh, place and we need to help or something, whatever the case may be, we want to help a church, a church plant, for example. We want to help a church get started. Uh, whatever the case may be, we want to help that, um, and so we need to give joyfully. Uh, we need to we need to insist on giving. As a matter of fact, the Macedonian churches found great joy in what they were doing in their affliction. The Macedonians experienced joy in their deep poverty. They experienced they exhibited great generosity as well. They gave out of joy, but they also gave out of what they saw as their own personal liberality. They just wanted to give because they were willing to do it. And in the fifth one, number five, starting in verse eight, chapter eight, verse eight, I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. So the Macedonians gave gratefully. Gratefully. These folks gave generously to people whom they had never seen and likely would never meet. They were giving gratefully from God to people that they don't even know. It would be one thing for somebody in their situation to give to a relative. Of course, you always want to try to help relatives. Maybe you got a relative you won't help. I don't know. But just let's just assume you got all your relatives they need help. You want to help them. Uh, so, um, you know, so it would be one thing for somebody in their situation to give to a relative in deep need. But in that, to give to a stranger, that's an amazing thing that we would be willing to give to a stranger. And so that's what they did, though. They wanted to give to the stranger. They were grateful that they had the opportunity. The gift of the Macedonians evidenced their gratitude to God for saving them through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So this really, this idea, this, this group of churches is really uh, an amazing group of churches that they simply gave, they gave simply to please God. And Paul points out to the Corinthian church he points to the Corinthian church back to the Macedonian church as a model and standard for their giving, whereas he pointed to, pointed to Macedonia to the Corinthian church a year earlier who made a commitment to do it. And so I think I mentioned that last week, so it's kind of interesting how that all tied together. Okay, so, so those are five, five points about Macedonian giving and uh, becoming a Macedonian giver. With all that, though, verses 10 to 12, what I would call following through on your word. Follow through on your word. So Paul now goes to, in verses 11, to, uh, 10, to, 10 to 12, he returns to encourage the, the Corinthian church to perform the doing of it. Because while they had a heart to commit, it is now time to have their heart execute. So we've, we have estimated, we're probably guessing that between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, approximately a year's time has, has passed. Maybe the need has faded away. We don't know. Maybe whatever the need was for the church in Jerusalem. Maybe it, maybe they got it taken care of another way. Uh, we don't know for sure. But we still should not feel like we no longer are obligated to give. If we said we were going to give, we need to give. It's up to the church at, at Jerusalem to say, thanks, I'm going to send that money back to you because we got it taken care of, which I think we, we should do. And just because our need has been met, we shouldn't take money that we don't need anymore. Take an offering that we don't need. Um, so for the Corinthians, the issue is the gap between the promise and the performance. That's where Paul's pointing out their issue, between the promise and the performance of their giving. Um, and we should keep that gap as small as possible. So verse 10 and 11, let's read that. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 10. And herein I give my advice. 
For this is expedient for you who have begun before not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. Now therefore perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance out of that which ye have. So perform the doing of it. So Paul's advice is grounded in good Bible teaching, by the way. Um, our all giving should be grounded in good Bible teaching. Paul wants to be clear here, it is not a commandment. I'm not commanding you to give. I'm not commanding you how much to give. This is a collection for a need, not a tithe. And we'll, as we have probably said several times already, we'll dig into the tithe either next week or the week after. This advice is Paul's way of telling the church that even though we have delayed in the giving, it is right and proper to honor our word to execute the promise to give. 1 John chapter 2, verse 5. John writes this, But whosoever keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are with him, we are in him. Keeping your word brings forth good fruit to the kingdom. So basically, uh, if, if you represent, because you're a Christian, a little Christ, named after your, after your, uh, your Savior, and because of that, if you promise to give, even in your own heart, you make a private promise, I'm going to give $20 million. Whatever. I know nobody has $20 million. But let's, you promise to give $200. And there's, a, there's been a delay in your, in your giving to the $200. And then finally, it's like God speaks and says, you know what, you promised. You made a promise, now perform. Well, I don't know if they need it anymore now, Lord. doesn't matter. God says, because you represent me, you represent the keeping of my word, you need to do it because you said you would do it. You want me, to, you, you hold me, God says, you hold me to my word. And that's why we pray his word back on Sunday mornings, because we are calling God out on his word. Probably a tough way to say it, but at the same time, when we pray God's word, we are praying, this is what you said, God, now we're, we're counting on that. Amen. And God's saying to you, you promised to give, I'm counting on you giving because you represent my tru- the truth of my word. Um, okay, well, let's move on. For the, we're going to run out of time here. Verses 16 to 24, we'll wrap up this chapter. Uh, what I call an, an example. Um, well, let me back up. Let me back up real quick. Because there is an example of failing to perform the doing. There is an example of failing to perform the promise, and that's in Acts chapter 4 and 5. You guys probably already know when I talk about Acts chapter 4 and 5 where I'm going. Acts chapter 4 was when Barnabas, and I'll just summarize all of this real quickly. Barnabas, who ultimately became a partner with Paul, but Barnabas, when the church was just forming, at the end of Acts chapter 4, um, maybe it was the beginning, I can't remember now. Let's see. I think it's chapter 4 where Barnabas sold his sold some possessions and then t- took the proceeds and gave to the church. He brought it to Peter and gave it to the church. Chapter, and then, hmm? sorry, chapter 5 at the beginning it talks about Ananias. And yeah, that's, that's where we're going. Okay. So chapter 5 in Acts chapter 5 is, is, is a, a husband and wife, Ananias and Sapphira. And they had a possession as well and they wanted to be seen like, like Barnabas was seen. And so they made a promise. We're going to sell our property. We're going to give the proceeds to, to the church, to the need of the church. And they didn't. They didn't give what they promised. You know, everybody knows what happened to them, but we won't go into it too much detail for the sake of timing. But Ananias and Sapphira ended up giving up the ghost, as it says. Um, uh, they, they basically lost their life because they had lied to God. Because they, they made a promise, but they didn't do the performing part. I mean, it was okay. They could have done, they could have, they, don't, they didn't have to give what they made on the sale of their property. They could have given 20% of it. They could have given 10% of it. They could have given 5% of the property. They could have given it all. Whatever, whatever the promise was they made, that's what they should have given. And then they came in and said, oh yeah, this is, our, this is what we made. But it wasn't. So they lied. So that's a keeping of the 
doing the performing of the, of the promise. And then in verses 16 to 24, this is a little bit longer. Let's go back there, verse 16 to 24. But thanks be to God, which put the same earnest care into your, the heart of Titus for you. For indeed he accepted the exhortation, but being more forward of his own accord, he went unto you, and we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches, and not only, not that only, but who was also chosen of the churches to travel with us with his grace, with this grace, which is administered to by us to the glory of the same Lord and declaration of their of their ready mind. Avoiding this, that no man should blame us in the abundance which is administered by us, providing for honest things not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. Yeah, I'm going to pause the reading there. You guys can finish up the reading. Let me just get to the point here. In verses 17 to 19, Paul sends Titus back to, to Corinthia one more time. Uh, the churches are re already knew that Titus understood. Titus basically is a representative of Paul. And what, what this passage is saying is that Titus stood on the same place that Paul did on this teaching, on this subject, on this topic. Titus believed and taught what Paul taught. So Paul knew that Titus would represent him and this teaching to the church at Corinth. And the church at Corinth, they liked Titus. They liked him. They, they, they looked forward to him coming back. And so they respected what he had to say. So he sent Titus for four reasons. Real quick, four reasons. He was eager to see the church. Paul, uh, Titus was. So he said, okay, Titus, you want to go back? I'll send you back. Secondly, because Paul knew that Titus was on the same page as him, which I just mentioned. And third, because Titus wanted to go. And fourth, because Titus was a very capable teacher. Then in verse 20, Paul sent a partner with Titus. And this is the key thing about giving and about the issue of finances in the church. Paul sent a partner to travel with Titus. Because travel on the roads around, in and around Macedonia could be dangerous, especially when carrying large sums of money. So he's got, a, he's got a bag full of money, and there's robbers on the road. There's bandits on the road. And so he needed to have a second guy helping him. We don't know who this guy was. We don't know what his name was, but we know he was needed. And he was there to help uh, be safe and, and biblical. They, they sent another man. Um, so we know that Paul was constantly among others who labored with him, but we know, do not know the identity of this guy that goes with Titus. It's proper on several points that he did this. That it's proper on several points for me and for the pastoral team that we don't handle finances alone in order to preserve integrity. Um, so let me just point out a few things. Deacons never collect money on, offer, on the Sunday morning offerings by themselves. When they take the money into... Um, the office and put it in a, in a bag to take it to the bank, they don't do it by themselves. There's at least one other person with them all the time watching everything that's happening with that money. Office staff, when they go to the bank to count the money on Monday mornings, they go with another person. They don't go count the money. Both of them have to count the money individually, so, so the number is the same, but they both have to be there. Um, Pastors actually don't handle money, so don't ever give me a check unless it's for me directly or something, you know. But, I mean, don't give me money that needs to be routed to the church. Just give it to the church. Put it in an envelope, write on what it's for, put it in a box, it'll get collected the next time they open the box. That's the best thing to do. So, um, witnesses keep us honest and put our words to the test of performing what we speak. And Paul said, Titus, you go and you take this guy with you so that the church knows that what you say has a witness. Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word is established. And so that's why we do that kind of stuff. Um, verse 22 is a restatement of verse 20 where Paul said, I'm going to send a partner, a partner. And in the last two verses, 23 and 24, Paul points to Titus as his representative to prove the sincerity of their words, that, will, that it will, their words will be matched by their doing. Essentially, what they show to Titus is the same as showing Paul. Okay, so we're finished up here. That's chapter eight on on some just some uh, some lessons on giving. We'll get into chapter nine next week. I don't know. We might finish chapter nine next week. We may not, uh, but we definitely will finish in two weeks. So let's pray.
and uh, we'll be dismissed. Father, heaven, Lord, thank you for the, your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the, the uh, lesson that we have gotten here on how to be a Macedonian giver. I pray, Father, that the example that we see here would be a valuable um, uh, reference for all of us, the Lord. And, and I pray, Father, that, it would, that this, this could be taken to people who are discipling can teach this kind of thing, not just about tithing, but about giving in general. The lesson on giving is about giving, not just tithing. But I pray, Father, that uh, we could all learn from the example of the Macedonian churches how to be a Macedonian giver. And we just thank you and praise you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen.